0: and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Miriam Gonzalez, I am so excited to be talking to you today on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. Thank you
1: for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, so the first thing is we've got to tell everybody what you're doing now. and, And I guess why you've caught my attention is because of the hashtag, this little girl is me, which I love the whole campaign. So do you want to explain to everyone what you're doing with inspiring girls and with this hashtag?
1: Well, I'm the founder and chair of Inspiring Girls, which is an international organization that operates in 27 countries. And we do something very simple, which is to connect female role models with girls so that they can see everything that women already do and they can take inspiration from them to work hard and to aim high also and, and to see all the choices that they have. And yeah. we constantly try to go to wherever the girls So we go to schools and we bring girls to companies, (laughs) but we thought, where are girls? And girls are in social media. So what we are trying to do now in the run up to the International Day of the Girl on the 11th of October is to flat social media with female role models, so we are asking women to post a picture of themselves when they were little and to talk about their ambitions at the time and the advice that they would give to themselves, and we are so, so pleased and, and grateful for your support to the campaign.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's such a great idea. So, um, what what made you what, – what w- was there something that happened that made you set up Inspiring Girls in the first place?
1: Yes, it did. I was very worried that I was seeing a lot of research uh, saying the girl guys do particularly good research in that respect, Mm -hmm. saying that girls themselves between 11 and 21 feel that they don't have enough access to female role models that I have always been shocked by that because they are. You know, billions of amazing female <laughs> models. How come they don't see them? And I found myself in the UK. I was married to a politician. I'm still married to him, by the way, but he was a politician. <laughs> <at the time. laughs> (laughs) (laughs) and he was deputy prime minister of the country and you know how those things go that the media focuses on the wives and i had all this unwanted attention and i thought why would i fight this attention let's let's try to use it for something positive so we put two and two together and that is how inspiring girls started and it it has been wonderful to see how well not only women but girls are responding to it because it's a simple concept really and effective
0: it is it's 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 Absolutely simple. So now tell me, do you have it in Australia? Is there somebody here who is heading Mm -hmm. up Inspiring Girls?
1: Absolutely. We started relatively recently, but we have a team. It's a fabulous team. You just have to go to Instagram to see how much they are doing. <laughs> that is one of the places where they advertise their, their actions, but they are so dynamic. And to me, it has been, a, I knew how wonderful <laughs> the women of Australia were because I have worked with oh. lots of Australian women in my <laughs> life. But just to see it in action in inspiring girls is just amazing, really.
0: Oh, that's fantastic because I was thinking if there's anyone listening that would like to become a role model, can you explain how Inspiring Girls works? Because, it, again, it's such a simple model and it's so clever.
1: You, all that you have to do is to go to our website, inspiring uh, girlscom yes. uh, and you register there as a role model. And basically you get there into a database that we connect you to the schools and we do that through a variety of means so sometimes the schools is the schools themselves who ask for the role models right okay So you can be asked to go to talk to girls Um, at an event now we all have to judge that the schools are really busy with lockdown and they have so many challenges so we also do it remotely so you can Mm -hmm. record a video of yourself so that any girl whether it's in Australia or all around the world can see you and your experience and then if the schools so wish they can get in touch with you and finally you can do the simplest thing which is to participate in hashtag this little girl is me and just post five minutes it's just and, and, you know,
0: it's actually really fun to go back and find photos of yourself when you're a little girl. If nothing else, it's fun to go back on that journey and go, oh, I remember. Uh, so that's amazing. Now, Miriam, part of what I do with She's the Boss is I like to inspire young girls by telling people, by, by getting people to tell their story so that we realise that it doesn't matter if you haven't finished school or it doesn't matter if what you wanted to be wasn't the same. It's a wiggly line that leads us to our career So, I would like, if you are okay, for us to do a little bit of that with you. So, could we go back to, I don't know, Miriam, when you were a teenager, what sort of a family did you grow up in and where did you grow up?
1: Well, I grew up in, um, in a rural um, village, a small village, yeah. uh, in the middle of nowhere in Spain. Just so that you put this in context, <laughs> the UK media used to call it the dusty village, it, which I find so offensive. Anyway, <laughs> it was a very rural environment. I studied all my um, primary and secondary school Uh, there Mm -hmm. in the only school that that we had. And until I was eight, my country was under dictatorship. So women could not have a current account on their own. They could not travel without the permission of a man in their families. But I was so lucky that just as I was realizing what was the world around me, the transition to democracy happened. And it was such a hopeful moment. And, you know, there was all this positive energy and the country was going places and I think that it is because of that and, and my father became a politician at the time ah. and, and really focused on democracy I think that that is why I have politics inside you, me and and you know it really really attracts me
0: <laughs> <laughs> you do and of course if you had that role model you had your dad doing that what what did your mum do was she uh caring after you or was she also working
1: no my mother was one of the few women of the village uh, who worked and right. therefore one of the very very few role models available to to girls in the village like yeah. me and she was a chemistry physics and, and chemistry Whoa. teacher in the secondary <laughs> school and a true vocational teacher. I mean, she was 70 and she was still teaching and they had to
0: kick (laughs) her out. (laughs) Oh, it makes such a good difference when you have a fantastic teacher. And to have a woman who is teaching you your physics and science and everything, I just think that's brilliant. So, did you have brothers and sisters?
1: I had a brother who is four years younger than me, but in typical Spanish fashion, he feels that he's the boss of the family. (laughs) And I have a sister who is five years younger than me. Okay.
0: And so, Tell me about. Did you go to university after you finished school? What did you want to be when you were a little girl? Come on, you tell me your story. <laughs>
1: I did. I went to the closest university that there was to my village because that is what Spanish girls, good girls did at the the time. And I studied law. I didn't know what to study. So law was like, you know, the typical commodity thing that you could choose different things later on. I was very keen on international relations and diplomacy. I had the, you know, the typical experience that many women have of having a teacher telling me that diplomacy wasn't really for me (coughs) because I could not get a husband Um, who would <laughs> following me and so on uh, and then I was really like I was the kind of girl that applied for everything whenever there were any scholarships I was there applying I was participating on everything and I got a scholarship to go to the College of Europe in, um, in Belgium in Bruges wow. and that is where I met lots of different people from different backgrounds and it was a and I. I bet it was. Me. I mean,
0: for you as a girl coming from a rural village to go to Belgium, were you very scared at the time or were you excited?
1: Oh, wow. I was so <laughs> scared. And I came from this, <laughs> you know, rural peasant background with my – Rather mediocre. At the end of the day, I mean, it prepared me very well, but it wasn't posh School. in any yeah. way. <laughs> and there, I went to Bruges, and there were kids from Oxford and Cambridge oh. and Sciences Po and so on. And I, I had only dreamt of these things. You know, I had never seen people like wow. that. So my, my self confidence, you know, took a battering, and, and it took me a few months to. To stay, and I, I remember vividly just phoning my mother in tears, saying, I, "I cannot do this." And my mother saying, "Well, one more month, just do another another month, and then after one month, I would still be crying." And she just one more month, just do another month. What
0: a fantastic <laughs> mom! She just sounds wonderful. So, so okay. So, you finished law. What did you do next?
1: And then I started, um, after this bruce experience on European Union uh, policy, after a few uh, really small jobs uh, that I did just simply to be able to get my my foot in in the the market, I became um, a regulatory expert on telecommunications. It was the time when telecommunications were being liberalized and very few people (laughs) were in that market. And then I became an official at the European Union and it was, it was really by luck. I was going to say, how
0: did it (laughs) it happen? Tell me what actually happened that got you that job? I
1: was, I passed an exam to become an official of the European Union and it was the time that they were negotiating in the World Trade Organization an agreement on telecommunications. There were very few people who actually (laughs) knew about telecommunications. So there I came as a young official and they told me oh there you go and you negotiate so I found myself in the World Trade Organization as a really really young official not knowing very much wow. with an enormous responsibility and I loved it you know when it's one of those occasions when you think you go and you do something, and you say, wow, I'm really good at this. And, and it's so enjoyable. When that
0: <laughs> it is, it is. It's, it's happened a little bit to me with She's the Boss and interviewing people, I have to say. So, so next, uh, what happened next to you? So you were working there in the European Union. What what was the next thing that happened?
1: Then I moved to, front trade, I moved to international relations, very much with a trade focus, but I became an advisor to one of the um, uh, foreign Affairs Commissioners, they kind of equivalent to the minister. And it was, um, I started focusing on the Middle East yeah. that I did for, for many years. Okay. And it was really interesting time in that part of the world. We had the aftermath of uh, 9-11, the beginning of the second Antifada, the beginning of the problems with Syria and with Iran. And I, I learned an enormous amount, did- but it was, it was very grueling, really. And did you have to because travel enjoyed. to those
0: countries? I mean, were you as a young girl seeing yeah. this war torn? Yeah, it would have been very yes, I, I,
1: I wasn't really like a young girl anymore. <laughs> <Just growing> up, <laughs> When you're as old um, as me. I, I got married. I was gonna say <laughs> when yeah, you're as old nine. as me, all
0: girls are young. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So basically it was grueling emotionally yeah. because it, it was lots of conflict. And, and at the end of the day, there is not so much that, uh, that you can do as an official. But also I got married in the middle of all that. I started having children and with young kids. And it was a drama, you know, I would be told, oh, in two days time, we are going to Iran. And I said, oh, my God. And, you know, <laughs> what where do am I going do? To
0: <laughs> because your parents weren't living nearby so presumably there wasn't close family that could look after the kids for you
1: that that's correct my mother was living in Spain my father had sadly died um, beforehand and and i just didn't have a a safety net but it is even if i had had it is the is the unpredictability yeah. of some jobs that you really have to think when you're a young family, it doesn't matter whether you are a woman or a man, you have to think of, you know, perhaps there is a time for every kind of job.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what did you do then? The kids have come along and you know that you can't do this more dangerous and, you know, very impulsive kind of work. Not impulsive, you know what I mean, though. the fast. So what came, what, what did you choose next? <laughs>
1: Well, then enter my husband, and <laughs> my husband, who was in the European Parliament at the time, decided, like many European parliamentarians, that uh, he didn't really like European politics. What he really liked was national politics, and right. he wanted to go to London to sure. have a, a go at it. Right. And we thought long and hard, and we, we thought that we had two young boys and that it wasn't very responsible to be in different countries. So, I gave up my job and I don't mind admitting it openly. I thought I was the best thing for my family. Yeah. And I went to London and I worked for a little while for the uh, foreign office uh, there, advising the, the UK presidency to the European Union. And then I had to reinvent myself. So I came to private practice, but it really was thinking, what do I do now?
0: Yeah. And also it's difficult to move to a new country where, where you don't know anyone, you don't have any networks. It's, I mean, I know when I got to London, I thought, wow, I'm really outgoing. I'm going to meet loads of people, but it's not easy in England. They do take a bit of time to warm up. So,
1: yeah, I don't know. I felt I have a love story with London. <laughs> I did. I love
0: it now so much.
1: Exactly. And to me, you know, I was coming from a culture that was quite close, right. and, you know, if you wanted to uh, study law, you had to become a lawyer. And if you studied economics, you had to become an economist. And suddenly in this British culture, it was like, you are free. I felt free. You know, people were asking me, what do you want to do? And I was like, you really want to know what I <laughs> want
0: to do? Oh, amazing. <laughs> so what did you choose to do? What did you choose to do next?
1: So again by chance, because I got to to know some people which I didn't know beforehand. I just said I went to talk to everybody I could possibly have access to. I got the chance to start the first trade-only practice um in the city of London. Uh nobody wow. was doing only trade at the time. They gave me some some you know funding to be able to set it up and they trusted me with it. It was very successful and I have been in private practice for 12 years um, doing law. So uh, so yeah, it was, it was a big, big change
0: for I, me. I bet it was. I bet it was. Well, great. Okay. So now I've got a few more questions for you. One that I like to ask all women, and mainly because as you say, you know, we don't get to hear about the amazing women out there all the time. Have there been some women that have helped you in your career? And if so, can you tell us a story of how they've helped you? And name them, because I think it's important to do shout outs for these women.
1: Not so much help. Oh, okay. Um, I have had women who have been very important in my career. And in particular, there was one, uh, Anna Mm Lind, who was, if you remember, Foreign Affairs Minister of Sweden. She was sadly assassinated. Wow. by a Eurosceptic many years ago. I was at the time working on, on foreign affairs on the Middle East. Yeah. And I was, it was when I had the, the kids very young. And, and all the women at the time who were ministers were, you know, they were coming in power suits with this big shoulder pads and with high heels and they spoke in a very rigid manner and they tried to be, you know, more masculine than men. And suddenly this woman young and with short hair and with T-shirts and and sneakers and a backpack uh, came into the meeting room and, and she spoke normally and she would say <laughs> things to the ambassadors and the ministers. Oh, no, I cannot do a dinner because I have children. So let's do a meeting at 4 p.m. instead. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that to me was a revolution because it made me think, you know, you can have boundaries and if yep. you are strict enough, people accommodate do whatever it is that you need at that time, within limits, of course. And then throughout my career, I have had lots of people who have actually helped me. I think it's fair to say that it has been mostly men, Mm -hmm. but probably because men were in the higher positions in the the areas where I have been working. So, of course, they were the ones with the possibility to help. Younger yeah, people like and, and of course,
0: you're in politics and law, two things that are also very male dominated. So you've got to find those men who are allies to women, I guess, in that situation.
1: And there are many. I yeah. think that there are lots of men who don't see this as a, a man women issue, but just as a society issue.
0: And and which it is overall, because you know we, we all need to be equal together. All right. Now what the next question is more about your career. Um and, and it may not be relevant. So if if it's not, do tell me. But I like to talk about how sometimes things can happen in our lives that are a real challenge. So at the time, we think this is a disaster. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you look back later and you go, this actually was such a good thing. It changed my whole life in a better way. Have you had any moments like that in your career?
1: Can you share some? Many, <laughs> but for me, the I guess that the main ones have been the two times that I have changed completely locations. So when I went from Brussels to London and I gave up my job and, and had to reinvent myself and I have just recently kind of done it again by going from London to California. And I have kept my job, but I have changed lots of things around it. And you are in a new environment and you have to get to know people and and sort of start from, from scratch. And I think that whenever something like that happens, you always go through, through a bad period. And many of us have the tendency to think, oh, this is never, ever going to work again. And this is a disaster forever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's that that feeling of, okay, take it step by step. And if you keep going in the right direction, there will come one day that you look backwards and you think, oh, well, you know, things have actually work out. And change is almost always positive. And then I had another really, really bad moment that really was a disaster, which was uh, when my eldest son a few years ago, three, four years ago, probably now was diagnosed with cancer. And and we, you know, it took our lives upside down. Luckily he's now uh, well and in full remission, but it's one of those moments that make you think, you know, Put your priorities in order. You know, sometimes you think, "Oh, it's a disaster if this deal doesn't happen." Uh, how come am i not getting this particular promotion? And it's like, oh, okay, yes, you have to work on that. And I defend ambition, right? But yeah, of course. Within limits, it's your own ambition. Just trying to be your very best, given yeah. your circumstances, really.
0: So, what is—is is there any changes that you made on the back of this diagnosis from your son? And of course, it gives you that moment of reflection. Of, you know my family is so important. Why do I care about my career? You, did you make adjustments?
1: Oh, at the time, many adjustments. And, and my career did suffer for one year. I mean, things that I was hoping that I could do, you just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't do it. The same for my husband, really. Obviously, in that kind of situation, you, you don't really care because you're just trying to to survive as a family. But I think that looking backwards, what ha- what has really made me think is you have to enjoy what you
0: do. Yes. So yes. There is
1: no point on, you know, keep doing a job that you really hate or, you know, for me sometimes working with some clients that it's, like it's not bringing anything to you. And it's that, that sense of, of purpose on what you do. If, if you have the lack that you can choose. So yes. some people cannot choose and that's, absolutely fine you know the if you can just look for purpose
0: i think so i mean i know when my father died it was very profound for me because i suddenly thought and he got he was you know he was it was the it was literally 2 months after he retired he got a brain tumor and he was gone in 6 months mm-hmm. and i remember profoundly thinking you have to live each day and make decisions As if you might not be here next week, because that may happen. And make sure that you have no regrets and that you don't, even if you hate your job, try and find some positive somewhere, even if it's outside of work um okay so the next thing is a question I I like to ask women because I've interviewed about 150 160 women in the last year and a lot of women burn out I've been shocked by how many women have got burnt out as in physically sick and couldn't keep going in their jobs so I like to ask how do you juggle work and family life or how do you juggle your work and your life do you Cut out like say weekends and evenings are for the family and the rest of the times for work, or how do you manage it?
1: I manage it badly is the answer. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. bet
0: that's not true.
1: <laughs> and um, and I don't really have a lot of boundaries. So very early on, well before anybody was working remotely, that I was already doing quite a bit of that. And and mm-hmm. from the beginning of going back to Uh, legal practice, I always had like one day working from home or so. So I was very lucky in that respect. I always knew that the, the, the payment for that was that I was going to be available if something really urgent came up and that is how I tried to handle it. So I, I tend to be clear with my teams. This is when I'm there. This is what I'm going to take free. I think that's predictability and being able to inform everybody pays off. But I also know that something really urgent comes in and I will leave everything I can to make it work. And the same, obviously, with my family. But to me, as I indeed think that to most people, family comes first. So yes, Yes. something really important comes in. Of course, (laughs) life comes (laughs) before work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. uh, Now we're just down to the last question. And it's a funny one that a journalist suggested that I ask, and I love asking it now. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know, but that you would be up for sharing with us?
1: well this is my quirk effect I have <laughs> written a cookbook, which is oh. a real really <laughs> thing to do for a lawyer <laughs> in my I defense I did it to gather funds when I set up Inspiring Girls because I, I needed the, the seed money to put it oh, together
0: that's a clever way of doing and
1: it I was running a cook blog with my children that I did secretly at the time that my uh, husband was in government hiding it from his advisors <laughs> <laughs> And then <laughs> we put it together as a book and with that book we started the first three countries we did in inspiring girls it was thanks to that book
0: (laughs) that is amazing actually i would never thought that in order to fundraise because we know one of the things that's really hard for women around the world is accessing funding to grow businesses I have never thought of doing something like that how sneaky (laughs) and yet incredibly brilliant of you (laughs) okay well, Miriam, I am so appreciative of this. was very short notice, and I'm really um, appreciative of you giving me the time. And I had forgotten, having asked you about work and work and play, that it's eight o'clock at night in in um, LA now. So I really do appreciate you um, giving me the time. If uh, just remind everyone again, if anyone wants to sign up for the inspiring girls to be a role model or to do the Instagram. And, and it's across all social media because I know I did it on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. What What are the best ways for them to do that?
1: Well, the website is www.inspiring-girls.com. And yep. that you can register as a role model and then just post And use the hashtag, this little girl is me. It's totally viral now in LinkedIn, running really strongly in Instagram, so you cannot miss it.
0: (laughs) Tell me, as you know, roughly how many millions have you got to do it?
1: We just, you know, we are counting on LinkedIn because you don't get the aggregate numbers from LinkedIn. Right. We cannot cope. We started hoping that we could direct a little bit the campaign. And in LinkedIn, we have given up. And what is happening there, which is really interesting, is that women are opening up and yes. they really are telling their stories in a, in a, you know, with all the emotion and all the, the authentic ups and downs. And that is encouraging everybody. And, and I think it happens very often that women only find the permission to do that when others around them are doing it, so Very it's, it was wonderful. Even if you don't post, just read the stories because they are amazing. Really, I have been, I have been, but
0: but so I'm interested in how you got it to go so viral. I mean, what did you do? You just literally decided? Did you have a massive following already for inspiring girls?
1: No, and uh, we were on the whatever five thousand or six thousand or so, right. and we had this idea. To get it ready, we didn't even have the team. We asked one person. To, we are a very small team doing <laughs> yeah. all this, and uh, and we just launched the the ball there, and it has become a snowball effect. So we are we are really, you know, we are overwhelmed by all this, and we are getting as much help from anybody as as they can. But I'm a, a big believer in in the small things that are effective and simple. And I think that this campaign proves that something as simple as a post can really inspire millions of girls.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I wonder whether one day you'll be able to put them in a book or something and just sort of share all those amazing stories. Because you're right, women are really opening up
1: Completely. We are discussing that with one of the media, social media. Oh, yeah! Use. Great.
0: To <laughs> be able All to right. give it to schools. <laughs> well, Miriam, it has been such a delight to interview you. Your story is amazing. I love what you're doing with hashtag This Little Girl Is Me, and with inspiring girls. So, thank you very, very much. And let's hope that this interview, I'll get it out in the next few days, will encourage a whole lot more girls to sign up.
1: Thank you so much, Jules. It's a pleasure talking to you. I could be talking to you forever. So thanks so a yeah, lot. an amazing interviewer.
0: Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she's dot au.